Food Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Headline, a student of permaculture, a person who knows cheap food is not cheap, and a person who knows that a shared sense of purpose is what we need in this time of a climate crisis, a plague, and an epidemic of freaking out. Anyone else tired of everyone freaking out? I'm tired of everyone freaking out. <laughs> Can have some empathy, but I'm tired of people freaking out, including myself, to be honest. But so how do we create an atmosphere to collectively deal with all of the uh, difficulties and challenges and crises of this moment? Um, this week, Farm Fest was held in Redwood County in Minnesota. And so from t- for today's show, I'm simply going to play clips from Farm Fest. And I'm going to start with a keynote address by Governor Tim Waltz. Welcome, Governor, to Farm Fest. Thanks, Kent. Well, thank you. When Kent said he was bringing me back, I didn't think Lynn kicked my butt hard enough, so they brought me back up here to do it again, apparently. But uh, it is good to be back. For some of you who don't know, you've heard me say this. I, I grew up in a small farm. My mom's still on it, um, just south of Bone Steel, South Dakota, and um, graduated with 24 kids in my class, 12 of whom were cousins. Um, they are still, many of them, on that farm, and I served and had an opportunity not just to work around it growing up, but to serve on the Ag Committee for 12 years. It's one of the most bipartisan, and I think the, the members of Congress would agree, one of the most fulfilling things we do, understanding that it's not just a cliche, but agriculture is the foundation of our state's economy. It's the foundation of everything we do. So um, it's a pleasure to be back up here with you. And I, I'm going to acknowledge, this last year was a year like none of us had ever seen. Challenges ranging from a global pandemic um, to civil unrest. We saw economies around the world uh, struggle to make things meet, and we're still seeing some of that. But I have to tell you, in, in coming out to Farm Fest and growing up in this, because community, when you grow up in a town of 400, it's not just your parents who know what you're doing, it's everybody, and that's not a cliche. Sense of community means community. And there's a lot of folks that are really working hard to tear community apart, to make it such. We can disagree. many of us have lived through this. We used to be able to disagree with our relatives who thought something differently without having to go and uh, call off Thanksgiving dinner and some of those things. So I'd just like to say, we witnessed this. We witnessed it at the early part of this. Our biggest concerns when COVID hit last year, those concerns about what was gonna happen with food stability. And there was panics around the world. You remember folks rushing to the grocery store. They realized how important their food supply was and toilet paper for that matter, but it was the food supply that they started going after. Well, producers kept producing. And our folks kept making sure we were processing. And the truckers kept making sure we were moving it. And the grocery store clerks make sure they were stocking it and going forward. And so no matter how much disruption there was, nobody went hungry. And in fact, that's the commitment of making sure that American agriculture and Minnesota agriculture was there. But it's been challenging. And it's been difficult. And there's been decisions. I want to thank some of you for letting me know when I got it wrong and reminding me of that all the time. But the part of it was, trying to figure out how did we think community for one community, one county, one state, and what we had in this together. And, and I know, and you know this, that they never tell the stories about the planes that land. It's the planes that wreck gets in the news. Only those. And I think during a time that there's folks that make a pretty penny off telling about the plane wrecks rather than the stories that work right. And why there were a lot of things that made a lot of people angry we also lost about 700,000 people, 7,000 here. We had hospital workers working double shifts for the entire year. We had a lot of family businesses that sacrificed and closed to protect others and weren't compensated the way they felt they should be. And that caused great angst amongst people. But the thing that I can tell you, I saw time and time again, in the worst of times, 
the spirit of folks rose up to help a family member, to help a neighbor, to help a friend. And I don't know, I don't have the fix on this. And everything's baked in. If you pull this country, it's 50-50 or do whatever. I don't know why people don't trust one another as much. And I can tell you now, we've come out of COVID a little bit meaner. A day doesn't pass where we don't see some senseless road shooting. A day doesn't go by where somebody doesn't beat up a flight attendant. A day doesn't go by where somebody's family member, and all of us are in this, for God's sakes, my brother lives in Florida. You can about imagine how well we get along. That conversation, though, is one that we're going to have to have. So I certainly would not be the one, and I understand the frustrations many of you felt, certainly not telling you what your beliefs and your chance and your freedoms. I served for 24 years in the military, and part of that was is understanding that's to give you the choice to vote against me, to speak about that, to do whatever's necessary. But I do think agriculture, rural communities, things that many of us grew up on. I was just saying, I can't fit in my FFA jacket anymore, but I haven't forgot the lessons they taught me when I was in FFA. And I think for so many things as we go forward, trying to separate a little bit out on that as we happen. I saw it yesterday, and I'll just end letting you know this. I was out in Clinton yesterday where their elevator caught on fire. Last Saturday, I was in Hendricks, some of you know. In 1980, that elevator blew up. It killed five people, including a young boy who was there with his dad on the tractor. That still impacts that community. But in Clinton, it didn't kill anybody. And the story got in the paper that the elevator burned down, and they show the flames 50 feet in the air, and they were evacuating the nursing home and stuff. No one died. But they need to go back and tell the other story. 19 rural fire departments responded to that. Businesses across that area stepped up. Bonnie's grocery store opened the doors and said to give everything they could to the firefighters who were fighting that, and they'd figure it out later. The quick drip was there to refill people's gas without charging because people had to go or were moving things in. And they saved all the rest of the buildings. And there's a hole there now. There's people who are going to be out of work potentially, but there's a potential to get that right. So if you looked at the first story, horrible day in Clinton. A major business in the elevator burned. But if you look a little deeper, they showed how resilient that community was. They came back together. And I'm guaranteeing you not everybody thinks the same in that community, but when it came time, they did that. So I, I want to acknowledge those of you who are really angry over a year. And trust me when I say this, nobody hates the damn mass more than me. Nobody hates it when our kids can't play sports. I coached football my entire life. It's what I did. But when you're getting and listening to people to try and get this right, I have to listen to who the experts are and try and do the best we can. And the only thing I would say, and this is what I hope we get by, don't let this tear families apart. Don't let this tear communities apart. I don't give a damn on the voting side of it. That will work itself out. But this can't get into our communities. It can't divide us. And I can tell you, setting through Congress, and you're going to hear from a few of them, it's a privilege to be there. And there are some committees where people still get along. And it is just OK to say, I don't know how that guy gets everything wrong, but to believe they still love this country, they love their community, they want to get it right. So I come here in front of you not expecting, and I won't make the case. I, I, some of you all say that again. If you haven't been vaccinated, get vaccinated so you can vote against me next November. That will keep you alive. You can do that. If you haven't been, ask somebody you trust more than me. Ask someone that you trust dearly to do that. 
And it's not meant to cause problems or to divide. It truly is meant to just so that people can live their lives. And I think many of us, we don't take time to talk about the planes landing. No matter how much we got on each other, no matter how hard last year was, there's no damn other place in the world I'd rather live. And we have to recognize how lucky we are that that's true. And when you come out here, a whole bunch of people had food in their belly, had jobs to go to because of the work that was done. And so for those who would tell us they aren't one of us, they're not part of this, we need to reject that. We've done it before. So I'm just grateful you're all here. I'm grateful we're back. I'm grateful to see our young people getting involved in agriculture. I hear you and will continue to advocate this drought is a big deal. We need to continue to ask for flexibility around grazing. We need to make sure, like we did this year, that we pass a budget in a manner that prioritizes this, because this is simply a fact. The largest export in Minnesota is agricultural products. It dwarfs other things that we do. That's where the ability to make money, choose where you live, choose the hobbies that you do, choose the people you hang around with, all comes from the ability to produce for your family, and that's what all of you do. So when you're listening to these panels, you're listening to the ag folks that are up here, make sure, and I'm hearing it, listening to you, and on these things that we differ with, I still will go to my grave believing we have so much more in common, and if we spent a little time focusing on those, I think all of us would have a lot less things to be griping about, and, and, and I hope that is true. But if you got something on your mind, I'm sure you'll do as you always do. Let me hear about it, and, and I will do the best I can. So thank you all. So that was uh, Governor Tim Walls um, speaking this week at FarmFest. And I absolutely loved um, his style. Um, that, um, and, and, and I think he's speaking a, a truth out there that somehow we've all gotten a little meaner um, and we've lost trust for each other and we're quickly putting each other in the boxes. And how do we find that common ground? Um, and FarmFest, um, and I also like when he said, you know, we, didn't, we don't hear about the planes landing. Um, you can go online. You can listen to FarmFest. You can hear people from a variety of viewpoints on farming talk about the farm system and talk about how and find this common ground. One point that there is very clear common ground is label of origin. Um, Let's know what countries our meat comes from. Um, so right now, um, so instead of saying, uh, where's the beef, where is the beef from? Brazil is now the world's largest exporter of beef. Between 1996 and 2004, their value increased over tenfold. Um, and there is a huge climate crisis cost to Brazil now being the world's largest supplier of beef. Uh, one, According to one report, an estimated 70% of deforestation in the Amazon, the rainforest can be reduced can be attributed to cattle ranching. So, um, according to these numbers, cattle ranching in the Amazon it's reduced an area about the size of the state of Washington. So let's not buy beef from Brazil. Um, so at the uh, Farm Fest, the word sustainability came up a lot. And uh, you can go online and listen to all these um, tapes directly. Um, but we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about biofuels and biofuels and carbon farming. You're listening to Food Freedom Radio, and we're talking about Farm Fest that held this last week. Welcome 
Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio. This is Laura Hedlund. And this week, for this week's show, we're going to be playing sound from uh, Minnesota Farm Fest. You can listen to all these forums. Um, just uh, search the term Farm Fest, and um, you can hear um, all the wonderful presentations. It's a great deep dive in, into the agriculture system. I also want to extend um, my thoughts with uh, State Senator Melissa Franson and State Auditor Julie Baja, who were hurt in a car accident on their way back from Farm Fest. The, life's, the injuries are not life-threatening, but... Uh, but we do wish uh, both of them very well. One of the topics came up is with this climate crisis, how do we redesign the U.S. energy system? And how do we do it in um, in a way that creates a resilient rural economy? Um, and so I'm going to play now a clip from um, Congresswoman Angie Craig. But if we could kind of break this up. So energy from the farm, starting with you, Congresswoman Craig, um, what are the key one or two things about energy from the farm in a redesign or innovative way that we need to begin to work on more? Well, thank you so much, Blois. It's uh, really good to be here. And uh, I think I have a little bit of a unique perspective. I represent uh, Minnesota's second congressional district. And right now, about 60% of the geography of the second district in southeastern Minnesota is covered in either corn or soybeans. So as I think about it, I serve on the um, House Ag Committee. I also serve on the House Energy and Commerce Committee. So uh, the intersection exactly of that. Look, I think because uh, Energy and Commerce has jurisdiction over energy and over the renewable fuel standard, uh, we've got to make sure that we start with biofuels. Biofuels are a no-brainer. And look, I, I want to just sort of rephrase your question a little bit. Uh, biofuels are not fuel of the future. Biofuels are fuel of today. And we can't forget that. And every single day in Congress, Voice, I'm reminding my colleagues that, look, if you want to tackle climate change, if you want to reduce carbon emissions in this country, then we need to make sure that corn ethanol is available everywhere across this country. We need to make sure that bio, uh, diesel is available everywhere across this country. And I know we'll get more and more into this uh, here this afternoon, uh, but uh, these are exactly the bills that I'm working on as one of five bipartisan co-chairs of the Biofuels Caucus. So uh, looking forward to this conversation, Blois. Commissioner. So that's Congresswoman Angie Craig, and uh, many people support biofuels uh, for when the sun doesn't shine, when the wind doesn't blow. How do we um, grow our own fuel in a, in a way without using petroleum? And that's what ethanol is. One of the big complicated topics um, that there's a lot of discussion on is something called carbon farming. And we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to air a fairly lengthy clip about um, carbon credits and how that might work. Um, so you're listening to Food Freedom Radio on AM. 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Back to Food Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Hedlund, and for this week's show, we're going to be we're playing clips from Farm Fest, which was held at Redwood County in Minnesota. And all these live, live streams are available online. Simply search Farm Fest Minnesota. Earlier, we played the keynote address from Governor Tim Walz, and now we're going to play a long clip about a fairly complicated and emerging topic: uh, carbon farming. We got, I guess you'd say, into into this through the the uh, Nature Conservancy. We were trying to 
gather more land to bring our son into the operation and uh, costs are just too prohibitive for what what they'll produce. But the Nature Conservancy was willing to purchase a grazing easement which uh, took quite a bit of the financial burden off us and allowed us to to keep it as grazing land, not plow it, not develop it, which is was our goal anyway. And and then all these uh, pluses come up. Now, carbon sequestration is part of them. Uh, I think people underestimate and the the value, the potential for carbon sequestration in grasslands. I read an article. They said 20% uh, of the total U.S. carbon emissions could be sequestered with regenerative grazing in this country. That's a huge amount from from a thousand to two thousand pounds we probably got sequestered right now by improving soil health, getting deeper rooted plants, rotational grazing, improving the health of the soil. There's a potential for ten to twenty thousand tons of, of uh, carbon sequestration. I know I didn't answer your question but I've been kind of quiet here so I, I I thought I'd kick that out. Is there anybody hey. else that wants to take a stab at our question? Jason? So it, the, to, to build upon John's answer, um, you, you mentioned the, the question on scopes. So this is, that's like a Pandora's box you just opened. So I'm not going to open the, the lid fully on that thing. Uh, but what, what she's referencing is there are essentially, if you're a business, you've got three scopes. So scope one is, what are your greenhouse gas emissions from your production system? So if you're on the farm, what are your greenhouse gas, your carbon emissions and your nitrous oxide emissions off your farm fields as part of your production cycle? Scope two is your energy consumption. So your electricity and your fuel to run your equipment or run your, if you're a milking parlor. So it's the electricity you consume. What's the carbon footprint from your power? And scope three is your supply chain. So what's the, the greenhouse gas emissions that were generated from the seed, for example, you purchased and put in your fields? or the fertilizer that's manufactured from natural gas that you put in your, your ground. So that's a scope one, two, and three. As a farmer, you don't have to worry about any of that, to be clear, okay? What companies, though, are worried about when they look at, so take just agriculture, supply chain companies, when they, they, they kind of do the math, they hire uh, consultants to come and look at a company's scope emissions. In the end, scope three, their supply chain is the, is the largest, every time it's the largest part of their footprint. And so when you think about their supply chain, so say you are a, a grain miller, your largest footprint and your customer's footprint, if you, you sell wheat into a bakery, is gonna be your wheat coming into your, your milling operation. And they have no way to really go and influence the carbon footprint of that wheat. So that's where these companies are interested in, like, well, Smokes, we, we need to reduce our scope three emissions. We need to go now start working with farmers up our, in our grain shed and start adopting these practices to create low carbon wheat that we want to bring into our, our cycle. The question in the data, um, it's going to be your crop rotation, your, your tillage and residue management practices, your fertilizer management, and it's even going to be, you know, when you plant it, at what rates, what is the source of your nitrogen. Um, it's your harvest dates, your yield. So it's traditional kind of precision agronomy data that a lot of times your equipment's generating or your uh, agronomy advisors helping you create or you yourselves have access to. The missing link in that is then ultimately estimating the soil organic carbon stocks in the soil. And that's where there's this final tranche here of a soil test. So it's looking at the soil organic carbon and bulk density to really estimate then the total quantity of carbon in your ground. 
So that's not something that's traditional soil fertility test. This is a specialized soil organic carbon test that kind of is the final icing on that cake that's needed to be able to, to transact on a carbon marketplace. So hopefully that got a little bit of your question there. Okay, we got another question. Hi, uh, Dave Buss from Victoria, Minnesota. Uh, quick question on federal government side. Do you think the USDA will be the government agency or will it be the EPA or someone else that will be the regulatory body looking over this? You know, I guess it's kind of the question. If it's not the USDA, we might be in trouble in ag. Tim, what's that? I'll take a shot at that. I feel it's going to be under the USDA right now, uh, partly because uh, a lot of the carbon programs we're talking about are under the USDA with the NRCS, uh, their natural, their conservation programs, the Forest Service and their forestry programs, and and the partnerships built from therein. Uh, I think, and and there's also a, a huge need for the federal government to offset its own carbon footprint. So I think that gives us an opportunity to utilize uh, different, maybe different non-international uh, methods to, to, to accomplish that. Commissioner Peterson. Yeah, re real quick too, I'd, I'd pay real attention to the farm bill. I've thought that uh, the next farm bill is gonna look different than a lot of the farm bills that we've had. I really strongly feel that. And I think that, you know, we're, I think we have a panel, I don't know if it was today or tomorrow, like looking at designing the next farm bill. And, you know, from a lot of the things I've been on, I think that this will be something that, you know, we're, we're working on that now for, you know, two years from now, that this is gonna be something that really kicks in. And the other thing I hear from producers on this subject that I think is really interesting and hasn't really been brought up a lot today is, are we paying for new credits or are we rewarding practices that farmers have been doing a long time? And I, I said I wouldn't you know, talk about buffers today, but that was a lot of the discussion that we've had in the state about uh, buffers and the buffer law and everything as farmers say well I've had buffers for you know 20 years and you know and then I don't you know I didn't get paid when I put it in and all this whole discussion is uh, around that you know and I think that that's a real interesting part of it too is how do we you know design a program but I just I do watch watch the farm bill. Uh, Commissioner I could just add I even heard some talk that well these farmers were doing a great job so that didn't cost us anything, so the others were going to penalize them for not doing a good job, rather than what I alluded to early on with working together, and, and that raises some flags with a lot of people, a lot of farmers real fast. That, and that's why I bring it up, just as we're, you know, designing these programs, and, you know, some of the other, fo you know, folks on the panel might have some good discussion on that, but that's something that I'm trying to understand as a, as a policymaker that, you know, we want to, you know, um, recognize those that have done some of those practices and everything too but at the same time I understand we need to you know make some changes and make a difference and so I don't know Jason and others may have a better thought of that so anyone else like to comment well I just like to add a follow-up and then have, here's some comments you know if you I, I, I've been around a long time following ag policy as well and I remember back in the uh, 1980s when the uh, sod buster, swamp buster uh, part of the farm bill came into play to, which is still in play if you wanna get any federal benefits, whether it was uh, you know, regular farm program payments or CFAP payments or WIP payments, any of the above, uh, you gotta be in compliance. I guess my question would be tying into this farm bill discussion, and, and any of you can comment on this, do you see 
as the, if, if it is a federally, most of you are saying it'll happen at the federal level, do you see it being tied in on a voluntary level more like the EQUIP or CRP program, or do you see it being tied in more the sodbuster, swampbuster approach where, hey, if you want to get farm program benefits or if you want to get crop insurance, you got to follow X, Y, and Z to be able to do that. Who would like to? Tim. I'm going to jump right on that. Um, I think we don't know right now. I really, I don't think it's going to go the same path as sodbuster and swampbuster, partly because there's such, there's going to be such a demand for acres for, for tons. And, and I want to go back just a little bit to the previous question of, of what, the, what the current scopes are and why they're there. The international market determines the scopes that these companies are trying to buy credits for. Uh, McDonald's, the Microsofts, the others, they, they're using international definitions which do not allow carbon that was previously stored from a carbon sequestration program, from no-till, from uh, CRP or whatever. It doesn't allow, probably doesn't even allow established forests. Uh, one th that's, I think that's something that we can look past partly because there's a lot of people out here that want to be involved somehow, and, and you may laugh at this, but if, if I've stored a verified number of tons on my farm from before it was eligible to be paid for, can I sell that to a, to a consumer on a GoFundMe page? I mean, <laughs> I'm just thinking that it's not the typical market, and it's not the international market, but it's still there, and uh, if, if I did it because of the right reasons and my neighbors are changing because of the right reasons, we're not eligible for the other market because of the international definition. But there's value somewhere for that innovative early adopter carbon. And Steve, you wanted to comment? On yeah, I'm uh, sitting here listening, and I haven't been involved with uh, some of this for a while in the concepts of the policies. Uh, but the more I listen, the more scared I would be as an agricultural producer, because numbers are thrown around here. I don't see, uh, you know, uh, we've got bureaucrats in, in Washington or someplace else that might be setting rules or policies for our agricultural producers out here. And I sit here and look at it from uh, some basic science, and uh, a lot of this doesn't make sense. The numbers, you know, when you talk about soil organic carbon and quantifying this and the quantities you're talking about, it's impossible to, to do. Now, are you talking about uh, organic matter, full uh, forage or whatever that's on the surface uh, produced in one year? Uh, how long do you have to retain that for? Uh, the soil is a dynamic system, and it's uh, it's going to convert this over. There's a certain amount of that organic matter that is that is long term, and the rest of it is pretty transient uh, that uh, comes in and cycles through. Uh, and other people look like they want to be more than willing to make the rules, but I would uh, right now, if I was egg producers, I would. Uh, uh, be talking to some of your representative groups and say, hey, let's, let's uh, uh, discuss this because this could really cause problems uh, for, for producers. Plus, from what I've seen in some of these past policies, the negative environmental consequences of them. They, they throw them out there as positive and they end up being negative. Uh, 
So a lot of different voices on something that we've talked about a lot over the years here, uh, carbon farming. Um, one person mentioned that, you know, 20 percent, predicted about 20 percent of our carbon emissions can be offset by something doing um, uh, by, by uh, carbon farming. It's a simple word for it. But as you can hear from all those diverse diverse voices, the devil's in the details. How do you create that? And uh, I'm just going to say some of the people speaking there, uh, John Reed, he's a Minnesota livestock breeder. Um, Tim Palmer is an Iowa farmer and immediate past president of past president of the National Association of Conservation Districts. And Jason Weller with Land of Lakes. Um, and, you know, I love the one thing that Tim Palmer said about maybe we could – Go fund this. I know you think I'm crazy, but maybe we could go fund this. We need to find a way of making regenerative farming and healthy soils profitable for individuals and for the planet. How do we make uh, climate-friendly agriculture work? Because we need a climate-friendly agriculture in order to survive. And and it's, you know, there's a, I, I remember hearing this once, and I was going to check it, but I haven't. But um, I, I, there was a phrase, the phrase devil in the detail. It used to be God is in the detail. I mean, if we come back to a sacred relationship with the land and a sacred relationship with each other, then would the natural decisions, would these natural solutions just flow? I'm a little optimistic, but I'm, I, I we, right now, I don't, right now I'm just feeling so much this hope. I don't know if dishope is also a word, but I'm, I'm scared of climate change. And I think a lot of the farmers right now facing drought, they're scared of climate change. And people breathing the, the hazy air in our skies, they're scared. We're all scared of climate change. How do we come together and create something? How do we create um, new solutions? And we can't have um, we can't just ask farmers to go through the extra expense of moving towards cover crops and healthy soil without some type of compensa- compensation. So I hope we can... Um, Find that spirit, and again, go back to uh, Governor Tim's Walls um, keynote. Spirit, uh, keynote. How do we find that spirit of folks just rising up and figuring out what to do together? So we're going to take a bit of a break, and we're going to come back, and we'll talk more about Farm Fest. Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio, where we plan to nourish the seeds of change. I'm Laura Hedlund, and today we're playing clips from Farm Fest, which was held this week in uh, Redfield County um, in Minnesota. Um, and here is the uh, National uh, Farmers Union president. Yeah, sorry about that. Uh, I was just going to put in a plug for the uh, Food and Agriculture Climate Alliance. Uh, Farm Bureau and Farmers Union are both members of that, uh, actually help start that. Uh, with Environmental Defense Fund, wait, what? Mm-hmm. Environmental group uh, with these two ag groups, uh, along with the farmer co-ops. There are now actually 80 groups in that alliance, and very much, as Congresswoman uh, Fishbaugh just said, it was about making sure that farmers had a seat at the table. And so whether it's talking about carbon markets and whether farmers are actually going to be the ones that benefit from that, whether it's making sure that we have voluntary actions as opposed to mandates going forward, making sure that whatever comes forward is science-based. Uh, we have a number of uh, principles. This is the group, uh, you can certainly Google that, Food and Agriculture Climate Alliance. 
Uh, like I said, 80 some groups in there right now, but it is about making, finding consensus in this space, which we know it doesn't matter what administration is going to be coming forward, these climate issues are going to be around and we need to make sure that they make sense uh, for rural America and for farmers in particular. Um, so I'd encourage any of you that may not have looked that up before to, to check it out. So that was National Farmers Union President Rob Laru um, speaking at the Minnesota Farm Fest this week. And so I do encourage people to go check out a Food and Climate Alliance. Again, partners of people that have very different viewpoints are coming together and addressing the climate crisis. And I was looking at some other um, information, and uh, they're, um, on their Twitter they have a, a study that report that suggests that labeling of carbon on food has the potential to shift behaviors for people who are looking for that information. So, yeah, let us know. Lentils are, like, fantastic. Eat, eat legumes. They're great for the carbon. If you're eating industrial meat, it's really super bad for the planet. Also, I found this uh, wonderful video on that website, and I'm going to play that now. There's something I would like to talk about. Our relationship with nature is broken. But relationships can change. The climate crisis, ecological crisis, and health crisis, they are all interlinked. We no longer see the links between them. We only see this far. So what will we do? My name is Greta Thunberg, and I would like to connect the dots. Because let's face it, if we don't change, we are f***ed. Millions have died from COVID-19. Zika, Ebola, West Nile fever, SARS, MERS. Up to 75% of all new diseases come from other animals. Because of the way we farm and treat nature, cutting down forests and destroying habitats, we are creating the perfect conditions for diseases to spill over from one animal to another and to us. The next pandemic could be much, much worse. But we can change. 83% of the world's agricultural land is used to feed livestock. Yet, livestock only provide 18% of our calories. The way we make food, raising animals to eat, clearing land to grow food to feed those animals. If we continue, we will run out of land and food. It just doesn't make sense. The land requirements of meat and dairy production are equivalent to an area the size of North and South America combined. From Alaska to Tierra del Fuego, we have industrialized life on Earth. If we keep making food the way we do, we will also destroy the habitats of most wild plants and animals, driving countless species to extinction. This really sucks for us too. They are our life-supporting system. If we lose them, we will be lost too. In the words of the United Nations Secretary General, Antonio Guterres, for too long, for too long we have, we been, have waging been waging a senseless and suicidal war on nature. And what about the climate? We know that we need to drastically reduce our emissions starting now. 
When we think about the villains of the climate crisis, of course we picture fossil fuel companies. But agriculture and land use together are about one quarter of our emissions. This is huge. It doesn't have to be like this. If we change towards a plant-based diet, we could save up to 8 billion tons of CO2 every single year. We could feed ourselves on much less land, and nature could recover. Pandemics, loss of biodiversity, climate disruption, acidification of ocean, inequality, loss of fertile topsoil. These are all just symptoms. What they all come down to is the way we treat nature, the way we value nature. We need a system change. But we can fix this. Because we are part of nature. When we protect nature, we are nature protecting itself. And finally, the animals. Every year we kill more than 60 billion animals. Excluding fish, whose numbers are so great that we only measure their lives by weight. What about their thoughts and feelings? Some animals plan for the future, forge friendships that last for decades. They play, they help each other. They show signs of what we call empathy. But 70% of the animals we farm live inside factories. In the United States, that number is 99%. Their lives are short and terrible. How will we be judged? It is heartbreaking to know all this, but it is also our opportunity. We know what we can do. We can change the way we farm. We can change what we eat. We can change how we treat nature. Some of us have lots of choices, while some have none at all. Those with the most power have the most responsibility. And most of us can do something. So, what will you do? So wasn't that a beautiful um, clip? And, uh, you know, I think within that audience at FarmFest, that, hearing that type of clip um, from Greta Thunberg may have inspired some emotional reactions. And sometimes when I'm hearing other speakers there, I'm also inspired some emotional reactions. But I absolutely love what Greta said is that we treat nature how we treat each other. And how do we find that common place? And I think that's really what our time is crying for. And and yet it's also very, very complicated, isn't it? I mean, there's no one simple solution. Carbon farming, yes, let's get to carbon farming. How do we ramp it up for carbon farming? How do we how do we do that? And 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 how do we I I I, I don't know if we can just do this from our head. I think we have to do this both from our head and our heart and our soul, all connected, kind of finding this common ground and this unity. And yet I'm also really caught, and I even sort of laughed when Governor Tim Walls said, you know, we don't trust each other, and somehow we've gotten a little meaner. And with so many problems that are facing um, the rural agriculture system right now again, um, there are certain points that we are finding the common ground, Right. And that was one of the beautiful things. Encourage people, you can go to FarmFest and listen to the FarmFest forums and where those points of agreement are. 
Let's label origin. Let's know where our meat's coming from. Um, and I had that statistic earlier today about um, the, the, the uh, uh, you know, it's what the size of the state of Washington, that size has been clear cut in the country of Brazil. And now Brazil is the leader in beef production. That economic system, that way of being with the earth and being with each other has a heavy, heavy burden. And why are we paying that burden? Why aren't we creating some system that works for all people? And how do we? How do we move from that? And there isn't any easy answer, is there? But I think as long as we're sort of uh, distrusting each other and mean with each other, I don't think that's the way to create the answer. I think we want to find that that deeper and that more common ground. And, um, and, and so, um, you know, Right now, what is happening with the drought? I, the, it was also brought up. Uh, it's it is very um, frightening. And how do we how do we come together? And I don't think there's any one simple solution. And I tell you, sometimes I want to go for the simplest solution. It's like I'm almost instinctively programmed. Where's the easiest? Where's the easy way out? How do we how do we solve this? And maybe the way to go is to say, I don't know. But you know what? I care about you. I care about this planet. And I, I care about um, a, a life that, that works for all. Um, at one point, a, um, one person at the Farm Fest, they asked this question I thought was kind of interesting. They said, you know, these activists are coming up with some crazy ideas. You know, one is they don't want to have 10,000 pigs in small spaces anymore. Um, you know, but they, these activists are coming up with some really crazy ideas. Like in Boulder, Colorado, they came close to having a referendum that uh, you cannot slaughter an animal before it's lived 25% of its lifespan. Now, of course, in this condition system right now, the farmers were not that, that, that sort of like, well, that did really seem crazy. But you know what? A couple decades ago, climate crisis seemed crazy at Farm Fest, too. What if we had that relationship with the animals on the land where we allowed, we had, a, we had certain regulations that, that, you know, an animal needs to live 25% of its life before you slaughter it. How do we find that innovation? And again, eating more plant-based diet, but at the same time, some people are putting out plant-based diets and they're talking about genetically modifying cells and, and some other plant-based foods that are... Um, that also I don't think are really respecting life and come from this grounded point of water is life. So um, I know it's very complicated. So uh, it was, I encourage people to check out uh, Minnesota Farm Fest, um, listen to the, the different uh, forums, and let's, let's find ways of, of, of breaking bread and, and finding that common ground. Um, there were places um, there where there was widespread agreement. Uh, number one is the consolidation in the food system. Do we really want four companies controlling 85% of the beef? Probably not. Do we really want a climate crisis? Probably not. Do we want a better world for our children and their children? Probably. You're listening to Food Freedom Radio on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Have an awesome week.